You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. Please take a moment to find it on your phone, or there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Once again, that is um, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. 
Uh, good evening. Uh, we're looking at the book of Acts of the Apostles, um, which should really be called uh, the Acts of the, the Continuing Acts of Jesus, because it's the second volume in the Luke Acts uh, doublet. And this is the second uh, part of what Jesus did. The first one is what he started doing when he was on earth. And now the book of Acts is what he's continuing to do now that he's ascended into heaven. Uh, we forget sometimes that uh, not only did he die and rise on Easter, he rose, but then uh, he, the, the, uh, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, Ascension Day. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. And so um, when he ascended into heaven is when he took over the world. That's essentially when he became uh, the king of the world and all the powers of darkness uh, fell uh, and they're still falling uh, to this day and will continue to fall because he is the king of the world. And he reigns um, not so much from up in the sky, but from the invisible realm that is just on the other side of our hands. You know, that's like the upside down in Stranger Things. It's this invisible realm that we, um, that we cannot perceive with our senses, but, um, but the angels can see it. Uh, sometimes if you're given the Holy Spirit's power, you'll see it. And throughout the book of Acts, signs and wonders come through uh, the invisible realm and do things like make uh, Elamis the magician suddenly go blind. These are the uh, signs and wonders of the kingdom that the Holy Spirit uses that Christ uh, pushes through the unseen realm to get work done. And one thing that the king does as a way of uh, taking over the world, and he is taking over the world and with grace, okay, with grace and love and humility, but he is doing that. Um, and one of the ways he does it is through his word. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit comes through his word. And you'll notice the word of God appears five times in this passage. So it's a very important part of, uh, of Luke's theology. And um, when it says the word of God, I used to always think, probably what you're thinking right now, if you know much about Christianity, uh, you think that it's the Bible. But it's not the Bible. Um, it's actually treated like a person. It's actually like someone is speaking to you. So it's... Um, it's kind of like, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, the mouth of Sauron. In the third movie, at the very end, at the gates of Moranon, when the armies of Middle-earth are fighting the armies of Mordor. And all, before they get there, this huge, disgusting like mouth, personified, comes out and mocks the armies of uh, Middle-earth. And tries to cause them to totally despair. Um, but instead of this mouth uh, of Sauron, this is the mouth of the Lord that does the exact opposite of that. Um, it's... It's a mouth that comes and proclaims pardon, proclaims uh, justification, uh, proclaims the love of God. And uh, he's doing that. He started in, in Jerusalem. Uh, then he moved out to, um, to Samaria. And then he moved up to Antioch. And we saw that last. He had, he had reached Antioch. And really, Antioch was the city, uh, the third largest city in the realm, uh, the most cosmopolitan city in the realm. And it was in Antioch where Christianity really got going. And uh, the, the good people of Antioch, was the, they were the first church to intentionally send out missionaries, um, not by accident, not because of persecution, but intentionally send them out into uh, you know, the barbaric lands, the, the pagan lands, totally non-Jewish lands. So that's what's going on in this passage. Um, we're seeing the very first missions trip. We would call it a missions trip today. There, were, there was never a missions trip in the history of the world until this passage. So I want to look at two things. First is this word that speaks, this personified word of God who is speaking to both the island of Cyprus and then to Turkey. Uh, He starts with Cyprus and then he goes to Turkey. And then I want to look at the way that this noise comes in, actually in both places. Elamus the magician is the noise in Cyprus who tries to silence the word of God. And then up in Pisidian Antioch, we have 
the synagogue rulers who try to shut down the word of God and create all this noise and confusion, kind of like a squid pouring out ink. And um, they can't do it. They're drowned out. But I want to look at the word first and then the noise that comes and tries to drown out the word. So first the word. um, So as I said, the king has already infiltrated Palestine to the point of Antioch, which is like really northern Palestine up there near Turkey, near Syria today. And uh, as I said, that was a game changer when he got to Antioch. Um, If you look at verse one, you'll notice how multicultural Antioch is. So you go, you go through these different characters and you have Barnabas, and he is from Cyprus, so he's Mediterranean. He would have very olive skin. Simeon is from uh, northern Africa. Then you've got Lucius. Um, I'm sorry, Simeon is from uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Lucius is from northern Africa. Menaean is a part of the Jewish elite. He was actually part of Herod's uh, like court growing up. And then finally Saul, who's Turkish. So... All these five different ethnic groups are the leaders of the church of Antioch. And so Jesus comes through his Holy Spirit and he speaks to the church of Antioch. And he says, I want you to send them east, you know, away from Jewish territory into pagan Europe. And I want uh, them to go there. I want you to send the two best leaders you have in the church. So this would be like you as a church deciding we're going to send the two people uh, who have the most experience, who've been here the longest who work the most for the church, we're going to send Austin and Ben out and they're going to start a church, you know, way away, somewhere far away. That was a big risk to send Paul and, and Barnabas, but that's what they did. They sent them off, um, the two main leaders, they laid hands on them, verse two, and they sent them off. And I was trying to think about how to explain this route that they're on. So here's the best I could come up with. You're in Miami. Miami is like uh, Antioch, extremely cosmopolitan city. And then you go down towards Havana, so you've got to go down the Florida Keys, Key West, and then even farther south and farther west until you get to uh, Havana. And that's like Cyprus. And uh, you know, Cuba is like the island of Cyprus. And then that town uh, at, the, at the very far corner is like Havana. That's where Sergius Paulus lives in the, in the capital, Paphos, the capital of Cyprus. And then, for whatever reason, they decide to go away from Cyprus up into mainland Turkey, and uh, they go right, like, right in the middle of Turkey. So that would be like going to New Orleans. They're going right up from, um, from, Haiti, uh, from Havana to New Orleans. And then they kind of go across southern Mississippi and Louisiana and then back down to, Mississippi, uh, to Miami. So that's the best I could come up with. But that gives you a sense of that was the first international mission trip in the history of the world. That's what they did. And it was starting right here. It's 1,200 miles and it's two years that they did that. An incredible act by... Uh, the church in Antioch, sent out by the word of God. So in verse 5, it says they arrived at Salamis. That's in the northeast corner of Cyprus. And they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues there. They use the synagogues like stepping stones to go from city to city. That's like where they find their foothold is in the Jewish synagogues. Because Christianity is a Jewish religion. It's really just Judaism uh, 2.0 in a way. It's just a, it's a fulfillment of Judaism. So they go right to the Jewish enclaves, uh, the Jewish ghettos in these cities like Salamis, and they, they speak the word of God. Again, that's not the Bible. That's the voice of Christ. It's like mainlined right into their souls. The voice of God speaking directly to you. So in the New Testament, when preaching is happening, it is considered God is speaking. He is addressing you directly. So it doesn't matter who's up here. It could be anyone up here. But if there's preaching going on, that is God addressing you 
directly. That's what's going on whenever Paul goes to a synagogue and preaches. That's what was happening when Jesus preached the synagogue. So this is what's happening here. The word of God is being proclaimed. God speaking directly to you. And then they go down uh, across the island to Paphos. And that's where the Roman capital is, the colonial capital of Cyprus. And this is where the action really gets started, verse 7. So the proconsul, it's a governor, he's the Roman governor, Sergius Paulus, who we have an inscription of. This is one of those uh, authentications of the New Testament's historicity. It is a very historically reliable document. This is one of the reasons we know that, because it says in 47 AD, Sergius Paulus was appointed the proconsul of uh, Cyprus. So this, this is real. This really happened. This is a real guy. Um, he was an intelligent guy, man of intelligence. Uh, that's why he was appointed there. And in general, in the New Testament, it's interesting, in general in the book of Acts, the pagan kings and rulers are treated pretty nicely. Uh, they, in general, are given uh, good treatment by, by Luke. They're, they're thought of as intelligent or wise or whatever. So um, they, this guy is so intelligent and so wise that he says, I want to hear uh, this Paul and Barnabas stuff. They're, they're saying stuff that I'm really interested in. He had probably heard of it before because some of the exiles from Jerusalem came to Cyprus. That's how Barnabas became a Christian. So he's heard rumors about this word of God stuff, but he, he actually wants to now hear it straight from the source. So uh, he has heard about the rumors of this king who's taken over the world. That's probably what's gotten to his ears, that there's a new king in the world. It's not Caesar. It's the Messiah. It's the Jewish Messiah. So Sergius Paulus wants to hear not about the king, but he wants to hear directly from the king. He wants the king to speak to him. And it makes all the difference if you've heard about Jesus versus if you actually heard from Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. I had heard about Jesus for years growing up. All the wrong things. A bunch of noise. A bunch of whispering of Elamus and the synagogue rulers trying to confound me and confuse me. And you might have heard a lot about Jesus too. Um, But when I first actually heard him speak to me directly, it didn't come through the Bible. It came through a book called Mere Christianity. It doesn't really matter what the medium is. It could come through someone's mouth. But when I was reading that book, Mere Christianity, it was not the voice of C.S. Lewis that I was hearing. It was the voice of God that I was hearing. It was like this familiar, it was like the voice of my mom or something like that. It was a voice I couldn't quite place. I, I knew I had heard it before. It was so warm and ancient and wise and patient and I would only read one chapter a night, and they're very short chapters because it was so compelling to me. So I was uh, reading this book, but I was not hearing from C.S. Lewis. I was hearing directly from the source. God was speaking right into my heart. It's like he shined a light right into my heart, and I was totally captivated. And apparently, uh, Sergius Paulus was captivated as well. Because even though his most trusted counselor was telling him to stop listening to what Paul is saying... He went ahead and listened. And it says in verse 8, Elymas, the magician, opposed them and tried to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. But, verse 12, Sergius Paulus believed, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Not the teaching about the Lord. That's a really important nuance. But it's the teaching of the Lord. That he was hearing the Lord speaking right into his heart. Which I am praying right now that you will too. That you will be addressed by God as I speak. Not by me, but by God. And you ask the question, well, what did he hear? You know, Luke, why didn't you tell us what he, what he said? 
Um, and I think the answer is that uh, what he heard was what we get from the next sermon, which I did not have read. It's a very long sermon. So uh, I didn't want that to be read just because it's so long. But let me give you the two highlights of the sermon that we didn't hear about. The sermon that Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch to the synagogue. There's two, there's two main things. Number one, in verse 38 of that sermon, this is, uh, if you have a Bible, look at uh, Acts 13.38. Uh, it says, through this king, Jesus, uh, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That would have landed really hard uh, on Sergius Paulus because Caesar was very unforgiving. If you crossed Caesar, you were dead, especially if you were a governor. So to hear that this new king, Jesus, the king, the Messiah king, who's the head over Caesar, king of Caesar too, that he forgives. It's not iron Roman law. This is forgiveness of sins. Pardon from the king, the royal pardon of the king. That, that would have moved Sergius Paulus. And then not only that, um, but verse 39 Paul tells the uh, synagogue, by the King Jesus, everyone is free from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. That's a confusing sentence. But he says, I'll read it again. Everyone is free now from everything that, uh, from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. In other words, the law of Moses, as beautiful as it was, as perfect as it was, uh, the Ten Commandments, they could not actually free you from your sin. The chains of sin. They, they, they bound you so much that even knowing the law of Moses could not free you from that sin. That only Jesus could come and set you free from this pattern of sin. If you're in some sin pattern, stuck in some sin pattern, the law, if you tell someone what to do really strongly and loudly and over and over again, it will not help them to do it. It will not do it. Because the law of Moses cannot set you free, but Jesus can set you free. His word of pardon, it, the grace of Christ is what sets you free from things. That a rigorous application of the law of Moses cannot set you free. But he sets you free. And that's the word of the Lord. So if you're striving for perfection, and if your conscience is very noisy, hear the word of the Lord. That you're forgiven and you're set free. You're forgiven and you're set free. Both. All the past is forgiven. And going forward, you are set free. To be able to to now actually fight against and be free from your sins. So that's the word of the Lord. And now the noise. And whenever the word comes, the noise comes. So if you're being convicted right now, when you walk out of here, the noise is going to start. It's just the way the empire always strikes back. Um, when when the, the accuser and the deceiver come into your life, um, there's always going to be this backlash against the word of the Lord. So look at verse 8. And I would love to know more about Elimus the magician. Um, fascinating character in the Bible. Verse 8 says, but Elymas the magician. Now, he's a Jewish magician. So there is a tradition of, uh, of Judaism that included magic. And it even included black magic, dark magic. So uh, this guy, I don't know, think about Severus Snape. Actually, he became good. So think about somebody else in Harry Potter. I mean, I think it's too strong um, to go to Voldemort. But this guy this is a bad guy. Uh, maybe one of the Death Eaters. But uh, he, opposed, he opposed what Paul was saying. Paul's talking about forgiveness, liberation, and Alamos is like, don't listen to that. That's really bad. He's trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. I mean, how evil is that? This guy is being set free by the word of God. God himself is addressing this man, and Sergius uh, and Alamos is trying to say, no, 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 that's not right. He's like whispering in his ear. Um, 
So I think the first guy I thought of when I read this is Wormtongue. Lord of the Rings, sorry for all the references tonight, but the, the, the character of Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings is like this evil magician, and there's this king, and I wonder if J.R. Tolkien even had in mind this, this story. Because this king, Theoden, has just become totally depressed and sunk in on himself and dehumanized and emasculated by this magician named Wormtongue, who's always speaking this counsel of despair into his ear. And Wormtongue is always there. You know, you're not forgiven, you're not justified, you're not set free. On and on and on. And then, and then this is when Paul comes in, like Gandalf strides in with his, you know, his, his great staff, and it explodes in light, and Wormtongue is just blown away, as is Elemus here. I love verse 9. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, so just think of light like pouring out of him. He looks straight at Elemus, and he says, You son of noise. Imagine being called the son of Satan. You son of Satan, full of deceit and skewing and manipulating. And as soon as, and he says that, as soon as he names Elemus for what he really is, opposing the word of God, the signs and wonders occur where, verse 11, immediately mist and darkness fell upon Elemus and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. This guy was the trusted counselor, the supposed wise man. And now um, he is actually clouded by the mist that he was trying to use to cloud Sergius Paulus. And it says Sergius Paulus wakes up. Verse 13, he believed when he saw what had occurred. Kind of like Theoden being brought back to life where his eyes clear up. He stands up straight, he shakes off the cobwebs, and he once again takes back his dominion as the king of Rohan. So not only can the word of God not be stopped by the noise, but the noise actually strengthens the power of the word in the end. In the end, Satan will regret everything he's ever tried to do to harm you. All the noise, all the confusion, all the deceit, all the skewing, uh, it will not only be banished by the word of God, but it will actually be used by the word to make more glory, to further the kingdom. Uh, Look at the uh, synagogue in Galatia, what happens there. Verse 45, I know that's not something that was read, but you can look at it in the Bible. Acts 13, 45, the synagogue rulers. So now Paul has moved on to Pisidian Antioch, this little city in Turkey. And he's preaching to the synagogue and everybody's coming to believe. And the synagogue rulers saw the huge crowd and they're filled with jealousy, as was Elemus, I suppose, because he's trying to control Sergius Paulus. So the synagogue rulers are filled with jealousy because they see Paul bringing all these crowds to Christ and they begin to contradict him and heap abuse on him. Again, more noise. Just con- like it's an ad hominem attack. You know, they just they attack Paul because they can't confound the message. So they just attack Paul. And again, God uses the noise to just further his plan. Verse 49, the word of the Lord kept spreading throughout the whole region. So even as the synagogue rulers are trying to stop it, it just grows. You know, the, <clears throat> in China, uh, President Xi recently, like 10 years ago, started to try to oppose Christianity more and more and really lock it down. And uh, just put the clamps on it, and the persecution increased, and missionaries were kicked out, and Christians were jailed. And what has happened is it has only strengthened the power of the church in China. It's grown much faster. So whenever the noise comes, whenever the opposition comes, uh, it just strengthens the word of God. The word of the Lord kept spreading throughout the whole region. 
I was talking to a guy one time um, a while ago. I was talking to this guy, walking around. No surprise there. I was walking around um, kind of the running meet area. And uh, this guy seemed uh, really defeated uh, by the noise that I could tell was going on in his brain. Because he was really slumped over, and he was kind of whispering and really not making any eye contact. He, I could just see that um, he had just been stripped of confidence, really taking a lot of his, a lot of his uh, image, God, made in God's image kind of confidence had just been taken from him. His life was really hard. Uh, college had not worked out. He had a bad living situation. Work was really hard. And I was asking about dating, and that was creating a lot of anxiety. So... Um, it was also, then he also said, and there's mo- but it's mostly this besetting sin that I have, that I just cannot shake. And I keep trying and trying and telling God, I'm not going to do it again, I'm not going to do it again. And then I do it again. I click the button and I do it again. And um, I thought about, like, this is like Elamus whispering in his ear, you know, you're, you're nobody, you're nothing, you're not forgiven, you can't be set free. Um, and then the next thing I did was I, I just asked him a question about his faith. Um, nothing you know, genius about that. I just asked him, well, tell me about your faith. And it was like his body literally stood up straight. He just completely changed. His tone of voice changed. He grew louder. It was like he was awoken, <clears throat> like Sergius Paulus. And he said, I have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And then the rest of the, the walk, he was just like preaching to me, powerfully preaching the gospel to me. I, um, I got hold of these letters this week. My mom had kept them that Margie had written to me. I, I couldn't find them. All the letters Margie had ever written to me, my wife. Got hold of the very earliest ones. And um, <clears throat> I read uh, these two that were like literally a note passed in class within a month of us meeting. She passed me a note in class. And then the first letter she ever wrote to me, these two, le- these two little artifacts. And I was reading, they're really short, but it was amazing. It was the same voice. Exactly the same warmth, the same wit, the same wisdom. I could hear the country accent again. And um, when Sergius Paulus heard what Paul was speaking to him, um, it was the same thing my friend heard, the same voice. All those many years down, down the line. It's the same voice you're hearing today. It's the voice of Christ. And it cannot be imitated. Um, you know, chat GPT could not imitate the voice of Christ. Um, it's, it's this voice that, that never changes. And so if you're hearing condemnation from like a parenting book or permissiveness from a friend, just do whatever you want, or outrage from a podcast, anger and outrage, uh, just know that is not the voice of the Lord. That's not the voice of Christ. That's not how he speaks. Uh, this is how Jesus speaks. And again, this is from the sermon. But um, it goes like this, uh, verse 28. Although they found no guilt in him, They executed him. They took him down from a tree and they laid him in a tomb. But then his father raised him from the dead. That's the voice of Christ. That's called a uh, U-catastrophe. I saw Andrew Peterson in concert. He called it the U-catastrophe. Where something that is a catastrophe suddenly becomes amazing. Uh, Like you as in a good catastrophe. And that's what's going on here. Although they executed him and laid him in a tomb and put him on a tree, he was raised from the dead. And, And that is the voice. That's how Christ speaks. That he takes the worst thing that's ever happened to you, the worst thing in the history of the world, this table, and he uses it to redeem a world.
And remember, we love these rascals.